I want to continue with the theme that I began last week. And one of the uh, mindsets that I have come across, and, and in fact, I think all of us maybe have come across this personally, as one becomes eager to take their Islam seriously and as one becomes eager to, you know, to, to put their, their Islam life in order, sometimes you go through a phase that's a little, you become quantified in your Islam. So you start to think, if I do more, then I'm doing better. So if I pray more, that's better than if I don't. If I fast more, that's better than if I don't. If I give more, this might be the only exception. If you give more, that's good. So one of the messages, everyone's got to give. But, but if I give more, then that's better. And you have this mentality that if you do more, the actions are more. Somehow this Islam is better than if, if, if it's less. And this relates to what I said last week when I talked about the personalities. I talked about the alim, uh, the da'i, and the abid. And sometimes when you see somebody that looks more Islamic, whatever that means, you kind of think that that person's better than you. Well, they must be, they must be better because uh, look how long their beard is. You know, that's the common like, example for the man. You know, you see a man with a big, big beard, and you'd be like, he must be more pious than me. He must be more Islamic than me. His Islam must be more than my Islam. And if you're, if you're a lady, you might see somebody that has on what you would, culturally what we would say is Islamic dress that's very modest and very loose, and be like, oh, she's more pious than I am. You know, she's more religious than I am. And we have this attitude. We probably have all, to admit, we probably have all, I mean, I certainly have, we probably have all gone through this phase. So I want to address this mentality because one of the things that this mentality uh, produces is an incorrect understanding of one of the most basic principles that we have in Islam. In which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Taha, He says, مَا أَنزَلْنَا عَلَيْكَ الْقُرْآنَ لِتَشْقَى We have not revealed this Qur'an for you to be miserable. This is a principle. You know, all of these verses are our principles. So this is the principle. The end result of this faith is to lead you to happiness. Happiness in this world and inshallah happiness in the hereafter. That's, that's the rule. That's the goal. That's the ideal. That's the measure. Are we happy as a result of our Islam or are we miserable as a result of our Islam? That's the goal that we have to agree to to understand what I'm going to say. When we approach Islam by quantifying Islam, and we'll talk about why that's a problem in a minute, what we end up doing is we end up assuming that if I become in a sense overwhelmed by all of the things that I'm doing, by all the restrictions I have placed on myself, somehow I'm better. So if I, if I press on myself and I'm doing more even though it's uncomfortable, I'm going to fast every day of the year. I'm going to, you know, every night I'm going to spend half the night and to hedge, I'm only going to sleep like two, three hours. Uh, and you know, these type of things, I'm only going to eat what the Prophet ate. You know, those, you hear these type of mentalities. I want to live exactly the way he lived. But when people say that, they don't talk about what's here. 
They just talk about what's outside. If you ate all the food that the Prophet ate exactly the way he ate it, you would probably, your cholesterol, you would break the machine. Because the quality of that food that he ate, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, is not the same quality of the food that we are eating now. And this is the only Netflix commercial I will give in a khutbah, which I encourage everyone to watch this new series called Rotten on Netflix. I know everyone has Netflix, whether you admit it or not. Or you have access to Netflix or, or a sibling that has Netflix account. But it's an, it's an excellent series, it's a little dramatic, but it's an excellent series to talk about the food chain supply. And the really nasty stuff that happens across the food chain supply. So if you, if you think the honey that you're eating is like the honey that the Prophet ﷺ ate, you are mistaken. To buy a jar of that honey that the Prophet ﷺ ate now, you'd probably spend a few hundred dollars to get that pure honey. So this mentality of I'm going to do exactly what he did, salah, outward I mean. I'm going to uh, sleep on a straw mat and I'm going to eat the foods that he ate as is in the hadith or as in the shama'il of Imam Tirmidhi. I'm going, to, I'm going to go to the store and I'm going to buy those foods and that's all I'm going to eat. And you restrict and you restrict and you restrict yourself. And I have met people and they'll tell me this verbatim. Maybe this is not necessarily common in this community, but in other communities they'll say, for sure so-and-so is better because they have encumbered themselves with more rules. I said, wait a second, wait a second. who told you that that's a principle of Islam? We have no principle that says that. That the more rules that you follow, that the more restrictions you place on yourself, somehow you are better. Because Allah says, وَمَا أَنزَلْنَا عَلَيْكَ الْقُرْآنَ لِتَشْقَى The Qur'an has not been revealed for you to be miserable. So what this person was telling me is that they want to be better like so-and-so, but to be better like so-and-so, they have to close off. They can't socialize anymore. They might have to switch their jobs. You know, they might have to start wearing clothes that will be very, even though this person is modestly dressed, they want to put on clothes that is quote-unquote more modest, but completely counter to what is norm in the Islamic culture of this place and this time. And I have seen this over and over again. Now in its extreme form, this mentality is what produces an extremist. Because the extreme person, the, 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 the extreme here being like violence and terrorism, this type of person, this is the beginning, the seed of how they think. Which is why the Prophet ﷺ told us not to be extreme in our religion, because then the religion will, will come and it will destroy you. And the Prophet ﷺ told his wife, Sayyidah Aisha, he said, Arifq. Being gentle and sweet and calm. This gentle quality has not entered a thing except that it has beautified it. And it has not been removed from something except that that thing has become withered and it will die. Being gentle in our life to ourselves, to our family, to our Islamic life is the quality. Why? Because Allah says, وَمَا أَنزَلْنَا عَلَيْكَ الْقُرْآنَ لِتَشْقَى This is this introduction. So, what do the ulama, what do they do, the Muslims before us, how do they understand these things? The ulama, they looked at the Qur'an, and they looked at the hadith, and they looked at the, the ulama before them, and they started to derive these rules and these principles to make these things easy for us to understand. And there's a whole genre in sharia, in fiqh, about qawad, about rules. And this happens to be one of the areas that I personally like. So I like to share when I find something that is helpful. One of the main qawad, one of the main principles upon which the entire body of Islamic law is built is al-mashaqqatu tajlubu taysir. 
that whenever matters become difficult, it automatically leads to an ease and to a lessening of things. Because the Prophet ﷺ said, لا ضرر ولا ضرر. There is no harming and no causing harm to yourself. This is one of the, 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 the miracles of the Prophet ﷺ, this statement. لا ضرر ولا ضرر. Four words that books and books and chapters and volumes have been written about to understand what this hadith means. And Imam al-Shafi'i when he, he saw this hadith and he reflected about his own legal works, he said, When a matter becomes difficult, then automatically it will become easy. So for example, what do all of this mean legally in our legal tradition to make us understand it personally? It's Ramadan, the day is long, and I have to travel for work. This is a difficulty. Travel is a different, no matter what class of travel that you travel, it's, it's, not, it's not as nice as just staying home, or as easy as just staying home. So you travel, do you fast or do you not fast? Any one of us will be like, okay, I'm going to take the license, the rukhsa, and I'm going to break my fast. Because Allah says that you can, you can break your fast if you're traveling. I'm sick, and it's Ramadan. Do I fast or do I break my fast? Do I make it difficult? Do I get more reward? Am I a better Muslim if I fast while I am sick? Well, if that fasting while you're sick goes against what the doctor told you and leads to more sickness, you will, you will incur a sin, not a good deed for that fast. So when things become difficult, right away they become easy. When things become restricted, right away they become expanded. Now the fuqaha, they understood this rule from, this, from the different verses. Uh, uh, the verses of the fasting in Surah Al-Baqarah uh, that talk about ease and hardship. And then the hadith of the Prophet I have brought with you, brought uh, this revelation with a pure monotheism. Of ease, a way of ease. The Prophet ﷺ, as is related in Bukhari and Muslim, was never offered an option except that he chose the easier of the options as long as no sin was involved. All of these hadith, so they come up with this principle Al Mashaqqatu Tajlubu Taisir. And this is one of the five main principles of the Shafi'i Madhab, the school that I studied in. So, what does this mean? Whenever somebody comes with a situation that's complicated and a situation that's difficult, automatically you look how do you make it easy. Because that difficulty, that's the warning sign. If your Islam has become difficult, if your practice has become difficult, if your life has become restricted because of Islam, then something has gone wrong. Because the whole package of Islam is supposed to make you happy. It's supposed to make things easy for you. It's supposed to give you rhyme and reason to your daily life. Now this doesn't mean that whatever I want to do, I do. I'm not gonna, that's, that's following your hawa. That's following your nafs. That's something different. We're talking about the Islamic stuff that we have to do. Our acts of worship and our obedience and our akhlaq, our manners and the traits, the values and the ethics that we try to uh, imbibe every day and, and live by with ourselves and our family and our community and, and at work and society at large. Those type of things. If we have taken that and we have become miserable as a result of it, then we have lost the whole point. We have lost the spirit of Islam. So I go back to this mentality of this accounting mentality. 
Islam is not a matter of accounting. We have to understand this, this idea. No matter what we do, it will never be enough in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There is no amount of good deeds you can do. There is no amount of ibadah that you can do that will come even close to how the Prophet ﷺ lived his life or how the companions lived their life. And even the Prophet ﷺ, he said about himself, nobody's actions will take them to paradise. And they said, not even you, Ya Rasulullah, he said, not even me, except if Allah yataghammadni bi rahmati, if he encompasses me with his mercy. We want Allah's mercy, not Allah's accounting department. We don't want to go on Yom Al-Qiyam and be sent to the accounting line. That's a disaster. Allahumma adkhilna al-jannata bighayr hisab. Allah enter us in paradise without accounting, without taking into account what we've done and what we missed and what we forgot and what we sinned. Just, we're sorry. Forget the whole thing and Ya Allah. That's what the Prophet taught us. So no matter how much we do, it will never be enough. Now, you can take this and you can be, you can be uh, depressed by it and be like, oh, what's the point, what's the point? No, yani we have to do what we're supposed to do. We, have, we are free agents to choose our, our way. Which is why, is why we have taklif, we are morally obligated to choose the right and not choose the wrong. But if you worship, if you worship Allah with the idea that you're racking up points, then you have missed the mark. Because it's what's on the inside. يَوْمَ لَا يَنْفَعُ مَالٌ وَلَا بَنُونَ إِلَّا مَنْ أَتَى اللَّهَ بِقَلْبٍ سَلِيمٍ Nothing is going to help you on that day except the person that has a sound heart. And I'll end with this story that we've heard before, but we remind ourselves. The Prophet ﷺ is sitting with his companions and he says that the person that's going to walk in next, he is from the people of paradise. And this is a certain class of the Sahaba, المبشرون بالجنة, the people that have been promised paradise. We have ten of the famous ones and there are others like in this hadith. So this man comes in, and the Sahaba, they were shocked. This was like the most average man of Medina. Like there was no, nothing special about him. Even when we say the hadith, we're not necessarily sure of his name. So one of the companions that was sitting, he said, who's narrating the hadith, he said, I wanted to go and find out what this man's secret was so that I could adopt it. So he goes up to the man and he makes up like some excuse, you know, I'm hungry, I don't have any food, do you think I can hang out with you for a few days? And you know, people used to be very generous and be like, sure. So he invites him to stay in his house for a few days. So the first day passes, and the Sahaba, he says, there's nothing strange about this guy. This guy's the most plain vanilla person I've ever seen. He just prays the five, he barely prays the five prayers. You know, I was expecting him to be up at night, you know, finishing the Quran five times at night, and nothing. He was snoozing away, snoring away, barely got up for Fajr prayer. I said, okay, maybe it's the second day. And the second day, the same thing happens. Like This guy, is, he eats all that he wants. He sleeps when he's tired. You know, he, he barely makes the, the jama'ah. That's it. So at the end of the third day, he, say, he, go, he says, look, I can't take this anymore. So he says, I have to confess to you. you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really okay, but the Prophet said such and such about you. And I had to find out what it was. And the man, he was even more shocked. He's like, he said that about me? He's like, well, you know, I don't do anything. I mean, you've lived with me for three, everything that you have seen in the last three days, that's exactly how I live my life. And he's thinking, and he's like, oh, you know, there is one thing that I do, I do that comes to mind that maybe 
This is why the Prophet said, so the Sahaba said, yeah, what is it? What is it? You know, what is this treasure? He says, every time before, every night before I sleep, I make sure that I have no hatred, no uh, venom, no animosity towards anyone. And I go to sleep like that. Anyone that's wronged me, I forgive them. Anybody that, that you know, took my haq, that, that hurt me, I don't, I don't think about that. I don't want any harm for anyone in my heart. And I sleep like that. And then the Sahabi said, oh, that's what it is. Now, how do you measure that? You can't measure that. And even if you go away from this khutbah and be like, I'm going to do that, it's not going to work. Because that was something that was genuine. It, that's how this man was. You can't imitate that. But we have these stories, I mean, inshallah, you can imitate it until it becomes a habit. But my point is that we have these stories to teach us that that which is genuine, pure for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that's what we want. And you can't measure that with how many rak'ahs you pray, with how many pages of the Qur'an that you read, with how much money that you have given, with the exception of the ICCP. <laughs> Other than that, you can't measure these things. And this is why the Prophet ﷺ was given this verse, وَمَا أَنزَلْنَا عَلَيْكَ الْقُرْآنَ لِتَشْخَى Don't be miserable. Don't be stressed. Don't be worried. Your relationship with Allah is good, inshaAllah. But be pure on the inside. Submit purely on the inside. One of the stories my, my teacher tells me, there was a famous Iraqi uh, alim, who every time he was asked to go to the presidential palace, he would see the president would walk in and he would Allah and he would just pray two rakahs, you know, to kind of make him upset, you know, and he would and no one's gonna this old alim, no one's gonna make him stop praying. So I, when we were by ourselves, I asked my teacher, so what's the point of that story? He said the point of that story is he did something for Allah. He's like, but you pointing to me because he knows I'm a troublemaker. He says you you can't do something like that. You can't get invited to the White House and, and pray to rakahs or something like that because you're just going to try to imitate this story. But that alim, he did it purely for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. To demonstrate to this, you know, Ba'athist system, this, this uh, nasty, atheistic, socialistic, Arab system that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, hayyun la yamut. That's a different situation. It was genuine. And we narrate the story. It was for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So you can't judge Islam on the outside. And I'll I keep saying I'm going to close, but this is the last story, last story. Shaykh al-Akbar, Muhyiddin ibn al-Arabi, radiallahu anhu, he says in his Futuhat, you know, Futuhat al-Makkaya, Shaykh al-Muhyiddin, he was from Andalusia, but he traveled a lot and he spent some time in Mecca. And this book, this is what he experienced in the openings that Allah gave him in Mecca. It's called Al-Futuhat al-Makkaya. He said, the strangest thing that I saw in Mecca is that I was making tawaf around the Kaaba, and I saw an older man hanging by the, the, the kiswa of the Kaaba, crying, asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the dunya. But when I finished the tawaf and I went to the marketplace, I saw a young man trading, buying and selling and selling and buying, and his tongue was constantly remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now if you saw this video of this, like the CCTV of the Kaaba, and you saw this man hanging by the the, 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 the kiswa of the Kaaba crying, all of us would be like, I wish I was there right now. Right? You don't know what he's saying. But what Shaykh Muhyiddin is teaching us, he said, I heard him. All he was asking for is dunya. But this young man who's in the business place, he's in the marketplace, meaning he's in his office. He's trading and he's selling, counting the money, making sure he's making a profit. But his heart was with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That person 
in the marketplace is who we want to be. Because that person is in, is in the zone with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Men who are not dissuaded by their trade from the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I walked in into a very wealthy businessman's office, a Muslim guy once, and this, was, this ayah was on the cover of his door. This man had wealth beyond what you can imagine. One of the wealthiest men in the world. And the ayah, what he chose to put in the entrance of his doorway was this verse from Surah An-Nur. رِجَالٌ لَا تُلْهِيهِمْ تِجَارَةٌ وَلَا بَيْعٌ عَنْ ذِكْرِ اللَّهِ As a reminder that just because you're in the world, it doesn't mean you have to be of the world. Now you can't measure that kind of stuff. You can't measure that. You can't account that. It's something that has to be transformed from the inside. So when things become difficult... In our Islam life, let us remember this lesson, this principle, that therefore we must find ease. Because Islam cannot be practiced with difficulty, it must be practiced with ease.